0: page 89 we're once again on the topic that maybe someday we can get to here at sunrise and that's at the issue of future events isn't that exciting stuff isn't that cool and that's what he says he says hey can we know the future and that's what we've seen it's just absolutely amazing that you and i the christian are the only ones on the planet that yes we can know the future we can know the future in intimate detail okay and god's got a hundred percent track record of course hello he's god he's holy he's without sin he doesn't lie like man Okay, and so this isn't like some psychic. Saying, well, maybe it will get it right, or maybe it's come true. No, this is coming to pass. It's going to come to pass. Every jot, every tittle of God's word is going to happen. And so you and I can not just know the future, but in intimate detail, one hundred percent assured. Nobody else on the planet gets that privilege. Okay, we can know the future okay then we saw well hey why should we sell the future because there's a whole element out there that says no uh don't tell me this don't tell me these things don't teach these things and we saw there's whole churches and denominations in america that are forbidding bible prophecy so why should we do it well as we clearly saw there's all kinds of benefits from in revelation chapter 1 verse 3 it says blessed is he who hears and reads and takes the heart right but that's just at the beginning of the book open your bibles to the last chapter of the book revelation there's yet even another uh blessing Uh, at the back of the book so um, all of god's words you turn there of course we know is a blessing but isn't it interesting that the book that promises not just one not just two not just three that's right for those of you hooked on math four times are you going to be blessed if you study this book uh, that people just don't they miss the blessing okay let's take a look at that revelation uh, chapter 22 verse 7 says this this is the last chapter in the book okay he says jesus speaking behold i am coming soon blessed member makaria spiritually prosperous this is a great thing for you is he who what keeps the words of the prophecy in this book so not just at the beginning but at the very end we are told you are blessed if you study bible prophecy and then we saw even more specifically in other passages of scripture we saw that prophecy also comforts us how does it bless? it comforts us it calms us it converts us it cleanses us it compels us and it clarifies hello we're not the losers we win we're part of the winning team. We don't need to freak out and get afraid. And we certainly don't need to be getting sidetracked, okay? Well, the, the next question is, can we know for sure? Yes, we can. Again, God doesn't lie like man. He's got 100% track record because he is, he is holy. He is holy. He is holy. And he wants us to know the future, okay? He doesn't play cat and mouse with this. We'll get to that in a second. It says this massive confusion has occurred over the past several years in the area of prophecy. The confusion caused by many, underline this, misguided interpreters okay now why are they so misguided well because they're going to get away from how you're supposed to interpret the bibles we're seeing yes even in prophecy needs to be done in the literal historical grammatical method is the proper method for bible interpretation period let alone bible prophecy okay and what they want to do is they want to spiritualize the text they want to say that yes i know here's where they really mess it up not just in the events themselves okay but really what they do, and, they, they, and we'll get that in just a second, hopefully, uh, is what they do is they want to predict, okay, uh, typically a date, a date for the rapture and things of that nature. Uh, and when the Bible clearly says that nobody knows the day nor the hour, not even the son nor the angels, only the Father in heaven. We'll get again to that tonight, what was meaning by that text. But nobody knows, okay? Yet what do we see? And we, we dealt with this in that study we did, did the Bible really come from God? Unfortunately, people want to turn away from the scripture and they want to go to those Mayan prophecies. It's like, that's crazy. When you look at where did they get their information from? They did psychotropic drugs. They they, uh, were involved in uh, cannibalism. Uh, They were involved in human sacrifice, auto-sacrifice, because they believed that they needed the blood to keep the power of the sun going. I'm going to listen to those guys. That's their inspiration. That's crazy. Okay, and of course, what happened? It didn't pass. It didn't come to, you know, a bunch of baloney. And yet you don't even want to crack open the Word of God. But then there are people who say they base it on the Word of God and they get all their secret mathematics. And even though the Bible says clearly you do not know the day nor the hour, they still think, oh, yeah, but I found some secret method, some secret math, and I can prove. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. was a natural book. Harold Campy. Got it wrong. Or actually, no, I think that was some NASA guy. Okay. And then guess what? He said, oh, yeah. it's Of course, 88 come and it didn't happen. He actually came out with another book, eighty-nine reasons why Jesus is coming because I made a mistake on my math. Didn't happen either. Okay, and of course the last one, the, uh, which is not only his first time, I think at least three times, Harold Camping, okay, has once again predicted and didn't happen once again. Okay, and that was just last year. And uh, and what happens is people get disgruntled. They start looking at this and they're going, "Well, we can't know for sure," because here's these people saying they're a Christian, and but yet they're violating scripture. Okay, and then they give not just Christians and Christianity and the Bible a bad name. They're giving Bible prophecy a bad name, right? We can know for sure, but unfortunately, that's what he's saying. Misguided people have come along and messed it up. Okay, and so it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's one thing for the world uh, or for people to say, don't teach it. This whole crazy trend that's going on right now. But it's another thing for people to act like that. Okay, and then put a sour taste in people's mouth. Even though they could study, they won't because, well, we just, we just can't know for sure. I mean, the guy, that guy got it wrong, and that guy got it wrong, and that guy got it wrong. We just will never know. That's not true, okay? And it's unfortunate. And he says this, it's caused much disillusionment among the evangelical community, top of page 91, about future events and our ability to be certain about them. But it has not always been this way. Listen to this. In the early part of this century, there was a proliferation of Bible prophecy and conference around the United States. I mean, there was a ton of them. Okay, now listen what the outcropping of that was. Okay, out of these conferences, some of our most solid evangelical Bible institutes and seminaries were born. During this period, much study was done in the area of biblical prophecy, and the result was a general consensus that the next event on the prophetic calendar was the return of the Lord for his church, i.e. the what? The rapture is the next event. It can happen any There is no prophetic event that needs to take place before the rapture. It's ready to go any Okay, we know what's going to follow the rapture, and that's what's coming next. This event would then be followed by seven years of God pouring out his wrath on the earth in fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week prophecy. Okay, that's called the tribulation or the seven-year tribulation. Okay, Uh, this would culminate in God sovereignly leading the Jewish people to recognize their Messiah as he returns at the end of those seven years. We're actually going to deal with the text, Lord willing, uh, this Sunday with that. Two-thirds are going to be slaughtered by the Antichrist. Halfway into the seven-year tribulation, okay, right here, and uh, he's going to hunt them down. Two-thirds going to be annihilated. Uh, Revelation 12 says the archangel Michael sovereignly protects them. And Lord willing, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, we'll get into that. Where do they go for protection? Hey, interesting. We'll get to that uh, later. Uh, and some interesting things that's going in that area. Uh, this would culminate in God sovereignly leading the Jewish people to recognize the Messiah. They return at, at, at his second coming at the end of the seven years, the second coming, and his reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem for a thousand years. The millennial kingdom okay so once again let's just get a full scoop of it and then we'll start going into it again and so obviously we had the beginning of time you got the end of time okay the bible talks about genesis revelation okay and then you basically had man began but man sinned. genesis chapter three uh, civilization lasted for a while until you had the flood why'd the flood come because of sin what did jesus say as it was in the days of here noah so it will be at the coming of the son of man Okay, it was a time of judgment. We're going to see the purposes of the seven-year tribulation, a time of judgment. Okay, and people say, well, that's not right for God's church to, you know, escape all that persecution. Because, you know, But wait a second, we might get into that later. But uh, the seven-year tribulation is a time of God's wrath being poured out on the planet. Okay, the Bible says we're not appointed unto wrath. Okay, we'll get into that much later. But then they say, well, that's not fair because we have Christians across the world that are suffering persecution. You're right. And I'm not saying that we're necessarily going to make it out of here, even America, without some serious persecution. I don't know God's time, okay? But persecution and tribulation is two different things. God's wrath. Persecution, general persecution, okay, is the Greek word philipsis. And that's general persecution. That's what's happening across the world. Christians, as we saw, are losing their lives for Jesus Christ. And it's coming over here very quickly. In the West, okay, that yes, we are called. Jesus, you're going to have the You're going to have persecution. That's not what's talking about here in the seven-year tribulation. That's the Greek word orge, and that's where we get God's wrath. That's a different word. Christians are not appointed unto orge. Thelipsis, yes, but not orge. And they say, well, that's just not, not right. That's not fair. Well, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be at the coming of the Son of Man. Did God's people, chosen, Noah and his family, were they in the water? Where were they the whole time this judgment was taking place? Safe above in the boat. Where's the church? We're going to see if we get that far. We're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> we're taken at the rapture. Woo-hoo! Oh, by the way, how long does the marriage supper in Jewish weddings last? Seven days, one week. Whoa, that's it's exciting. We'll get to that in just a second. Nothing's by chance in the scripture. Okay, and, uh, but that's what we're going to see. It's going to be a time of judgment. So anyway, so that was the judgment. Uh, then what we're going to see with Daniel's 70th week prophecy. This is the big thing where we get that. Uh, what's going on there because people say well why do we even have a seven year tribulation well it's the fulfillment of daniel's seventh week prophecy okay and he talks about that and we'll get into that a little bit later i don't want to explain it right now but you see the base all the way the old testament looked forward to the messiah coming on the cross okay we in the new testament look back to the cross this is what's called the church age this is the special time when anybody on the planet can get saved jew or gentile okay a gentile is anybody who's not a jew so it's a whole planet and then if you notice the next event is the rapture But if you notice on my extremely large writing uh, that you can see this little thing here. This is actually a guy. Okay, I had to estimate. I'm not going to put a date down. I'm not a date setter. But this is Don right here. And he's going, Pastor Billy, your writing is too small. I can't see. See, that's actually when it occurred. And see, Don, that tells us how close we are to the rapture. Are you encouraged tonight? Thank you. That's right. And you look so slim and trim. Let me get your doctors going on there looking snazzy, looking great. But anyway, that's right. So the next event is the rapture of the church right after that sometime what's going to start the clock is daniel 9 27 the antichrist makes a peace treaty with the israel makes a covenant with him for seven years that's what starts it then you, three and a half years the antichrist goes into the rebuilt jewish temple declares himself to be god we will deal with that extensively lord willing this sunday uh and then uh, at the end of the seven year uh you have the second coming of jesus christ puts down the battle of armageddon squelches it and then he sets up his millennial reign for a thousand years at the end of that there's one final little rebellion Okay, and that's completely put down extremely quickly. Then there's what's called the eternal state. That's the end, the new heavens, and the new earth. So that's kind of the whole thing in future. Now listen, guess what? You can bank on this. This is it. This is really what's coming. No, like, well, I hope that, uh, that, uh, you know, I I paid that lady my 25 bucks to read the lines in my elbow. Because we all know when you read lines in the elbow, I can predict the future. That's never going to happen. This is going to happen. You can bank on it. I mean, it's reassuring to know that we can know the future. Let's continue on. This general consensus resulted from Bible scholars taking prophetic passages at face value and interpreting them literally as they did the rest of the Bible text, okay? Uh, When it talks about in the book of Revelation uh, that uh, there's uh, a mountain all ablaze, something the size of a mountain all ablaze slamming into the sea, common sense tells you, what's that? No, really what it means, guys, is see, that media, that mountain represents the hill that humanity must climb as we try to achieve our inner greatness and the human potential movement. And if we do not believe in that, then we will be cascaded down throughout the corridors of human history and make an unfortunate destruction of ourselves. And the, the waves created by that will continue in generations of humanity. No, it's an asteroid. It's a meteorite. It's a meteor. That's it. <laughs> Okay, with all due respect, Ooh, because I guess if you want to sound Greekish, but uh, no, but that's what people do. They, somehow when it comes to Bible prophecy, if they're not already told, you better not get in there, you better not listen to that, then you, and if it isn't bad enough, you've got these people come, oh, the false dates, false setters, and puts a sour taste in their mouth, then when they finally even get into the text, they do stuff like that. no, like, no, 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 no. When the Bible talks about an earthquake so incredibly large, okay, that it literally shook every mountain and island, guess what that was? Oh, uh, that was a literal earthquake that literally shook every mouth right? It's not yet another movement of that. You know what that, I know what it was. That's when rock and roll started. That was Elvis and his shaking like this. And he was causing an earthquake and he was, hey, it's Vegas, right? So, but uh, anyway, that's right. That's why I'm not on the strip. I'm here tonight. God. Right? <laughs> yeah, stay here to keep my day job. But uh, no, it's an earthquake, right? But see, that's what people do. So it's bad enough that you're forbidden to get in there. And it's bad enough that people put a sour taste in your mouth, all these false daters okay, they get in there and then they mess it up, just use common sense, okay, but when you get it right, when you leave the Bible alone, let it speak for itself, true biblical interpretation, it has a profound effect on you, okay, it has a profound effect on you, and that's some of the benefits we saw last week, okay, but here's what it did, uh, as we saw here, this is the type of interpretive method we've looked at before, Dr. Paul Lee Tan states the only dependable approach to prophecy is the literal, that's your blank there, literal method of interpretation this method assumes that bible prophecy written in regular human language should be interpreted according to the laws governing written communication in other words writing these words common sense i'm telling you it's just sense well i think i really no common sense okay it's a trustworthy and god-honoring method of interpretation which takes the bible at its word okay listen god wants you to know it's not just can we know the future he wants us to know the future why? Because it's a part of the Bible. And not just Revelation, but Romans. Do you think that God wrote, uh, inspired the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul writing the book of Romans? He did it so we could know what he wanted us to say. So why, when it comes to Bible prophecy, it's like, oh, I don't know, it's just too difficult. He, uh, it's just only those super smart people, those guys that are nifty with mathematics and a calculator, can figure this out. No, he wants us to know. It's all part of his Bible, but he wants us to know. He's not playing cat and mouse with this. Just bring in a dose of common sense. If you're not going to go into the book of Romans and spiritualize the text, what Paul's really talking about here is, then why would you do that when it comes to another book? Right? Common sense, common sense. Okay, it clears up this approach, much of the confusion over God's prophetic program and gives us a clear picture of the overall outline of, of these events okay so now let's take a look at what that what's next in john 13 33 jesus reveals to his disciples he's soon going to go away and that where he's going they cannot immediately underline that they cannot immediately follow okay now this disturbed the disciples greatly and jesus sensed that they were troubled about being apart from him and so in john 14 he tells them about where he's going And uh, he's going to indicate that they do know the way where he's going. And, of course, that's quoting John 14. This is what it says. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, pay attention to that, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where i am there you may be also and you know the way where i'm going thomas said to him lord we don't know where you're going how do we know the way and jesus says i am the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to the father but through me so christ told his disciples that his destination was the father's house peter indicates in his sermon at pentecost that jesus ascended into heaven therefore the father's house is located where in heaven okay most scholars believe that the reference to dwelling places is here referring to the new jerusalem okay new jerusalem new heavens new earth okay happens back down here post-millennial kingdom okay christ indicates that after he prepares their dwelling places he's going to return and receive them to himself he qualifies this in a statement where i am you may be also this is the first time that christ revealed that he would return to get his disciples and take them to heaven. Is your next blank there? I'm coming back to get you, okay? And a lot of people would take that, believe it or not, John 14, as a rapture passage, okay, based on that when you look at other texts. Okay, and I would say there's even more to that. And we've dealt with this a little bit before, but I want to do it now again since we're on that topic. And Jesus, not only dealing with this, he's clearly saying, I'm going to come, I'm personally going to come And I'm going to come get you again. And I'm going to take you back to the father's house. And there's a whole lot of dwelling places. Don't worry. Chill out. Okay. In the southern Hebrew, Greek, Alakas. And uh, so, but we also see that as we saw before, it's extremely explicit. Okay. And really open up your eyes when you take a look at the verbiage that Jesus is using here. Okay. The phrase there, the father's house, many dwelling places, is what we saw before, Jesus is specifically not pointing us towards a literal, he's coming back at a rapture event to come get us, okay? But when you take a look at what his verbiage, he's using specific verbiage used in a marriage, in a Jewish marriage ceremony. And when you take a look at that, and you follow the seven phases of a Jewish marriage ceremony, it ends in the rapture, okay? Let's review that real quickly. The first phase in a Jewish marriage ceremony is called the Shidokin or the match, okay and again jesus follows and uses the verbiage every single one of these phases and it culminates in a a bible prophecy event nothing is by chance in the scripture and so outside the text again outside of the scripture uh just as itself speaking of a rapture i think jesus is really uh trying to key in that this is a literal event i'm coming to get you my bride okay but it was the shirukin of the match was the first phase and as we saw before this was the phase where basically the father would go out and hire a matchmaker uh, for uh, his uh, son, right, to go get a bride, right? So it's like as soon as uh, my wife Brandy found out that Jordan uh, was single, and it was verified, man, she's going to town. Sorry, bud, you're in trouble. But uh, working as a matchmaker. and uh, But anyway, that's right. You ain't leaving Vegas without a wife. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> anyway. Don't leave home without it. But that's right. And... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so but that's what they would do. It wasn't. She didn't get the choice. They went out, and got the matchmaker. Now listen, that's what the Bible says. John fifteen. You did not choose me, but Jesus says, but I chose you. John six. All that the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws me to him. The Holy Spirit is the one who acts as the agent of the Father to go get the bride. Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God, and then we respond to His invitation, His petition. And accept him with love. First Peter one eight. Although we have not seen him, yet we love him. And though you do not see him now, we believe in him, and we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible with full uh, full glory. So we have a match that was made by the matchmaker, the Holy Spirit. The second uh, phase in the Jewish marriage ceremony was called the bride price, the mohar, or the bride price. And what this was was after you got the match made. Now they would start working out and hashing the value over the bride. Okay. And uh, the scripture says that the price, the bride price, the mohar that was paid for you and I was extremely high. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, a bride price. Well, what was that price? Listen to how high it was. 1 Peter 1.18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, but with precious blood, the blood of Christ. Jesus paid the bride price with his own life. He gave his life for us. That's amazing. The third phase in the Jewish marriage ceremony was called the matan, or the love gifts, and this was a voluntary event from the groom. The groom gave uh, gifts now to the uh, bride, okay, to be. He didn't have to. It was completely voluntary. And then you look at the scripture, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. I'll just read a couple of the voluntary gifts. He gives us his peace right now, not later, his peace right now. Uh, John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus said, peace I leave with you to give. My peace I give to you. He gives us his joy, Fifteen eleven. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And again, this is voluntary. See, Jesus could have just saved us and said, All right, see you when I come back. You know, or you die and come to be with me, whatever's first, in the order of things. Okay. But see you later. But he leaves behind for us his joy, his peace. In fact, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, which the Bible says the Holy Spirit of the Spirit of Christ in the book of Romans. He gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kind. I mean, it's just awesome. Matan, love gifts. Voluntarily didn't have to, but he did it. The fourth phase in a Jewish marriage ceremony is called the Shilohim shilohim or the dowry okay now this is where the father of the bride would get some gifts okay she's making out like a bandit she's getting gifts from the other guy uh the groom now she's getting out from her father okay and guess what the bible says that god the father has done for you and i he's given us gifts okay specifically these gifts that were given by the father were specific gifts like hey there's a toaster okay how many guys realize they probably didn't have toasters back then yes you're waking up soon enough don't make me tell that george and the dragon joke. Don't make me do it. Hey, you're perking up already. That's right. That word, I'll have to use that uh, more often. Uh, but no, they're specifically used to equip her for her new life with her groom. All right, so maybe he could use a toaster, I don't know. But, uh, uh, the, he, but the God has given us the spirit to live for him. Uh, John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says, and I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper. Uh, that is the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He's given us gifts to serve him with. Romans twelve six. we got different gifts according to the grace that's given to us. It's the spirit of God that gives us those. And as we saw before, he gives us an engagement ring to remember him by, and that's in Second Corinthians 1. 21 through 22. Now, he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who's also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. As we saw before many times, the word their pledge is arobone in the Greek and it means engagement ring. So, God gives us an engagement ring, the Holy Spirit, okay, as a way of saying, Listen, you're going to get there. You are pledged. You are matched to my Son. I have chosen you. Okay, and you're going to get there. And I'm giving you these gifts to, ser- uh, to serve and get prepared for your life with Him. The fifth phase is what's called the ketubah. Okay, and that's that new uh, uh, horn section that Pastor Jim is uh, establishing this Sunday. It's going to be awesome. The whole ketubah. Now, that means marriage contract uh, is what was going on there. And uh, basically, the marriage contract is what uh, recorded the rights of the bride and the groom the whole thing. It was, it was a contract uh, that was made out by both parties. And the Bible says that uh, you and I, our new contract has been written down for us all right it's in the new testament the new covenant new contract hebrews 8 6 says, but now he jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he also is a mediator of a better covenant or a better contract which is enacted on better uh, promises and then what at that phrase what happened is after the contract was uh written down recorded okay then there was what was called the cup of acceptance and then we take a, a thing of wine and then the groom would have this, and he say, basically, he's pledging his life uh, for hers, and he would give her this cup, and extend to her this cup, and say that, okay, in taking this cup, you were, you were taking my word that I'm going to take care of you, that my life is going to be given for you. I will take care of you. And, and that was called the cup of acceptance. So she had to accept that cup, and then take a drink, and then she was basically agreeing to it. You know what we call that today? Communion. That's what Jesus was saying in communion, First Corinthians eleven twenty five. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, "This is the cup of the new covenant contract, ketubah, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me." So that's what we're doing. We're remembering our marriage contract with Jesus every time we take that. Lots of things going on in the scripture if you do your homework. Sixth phase is what's called the kiddushin or the betrothal. Now we're going to start getting into some of the Bible prophecy language when it comes towards the rapture. Now, after the marriage contract was signed, the couple became betrothed. Okay, they were legally married, but they still didn't come together and consummate the marriage. Why? Because at this stage in the marriage, Jewish marriage, is you had to come together and you had to prepare. You still had preparations that you had to make. The groom had to go back and he had to build what was called a hoopah on the father's house. Okay, now back in the day, what they typically did in the Jewish marriage ceremony is they didn't go out and they didn't get their own house. Okay, okay. They built an addition onto the father's house is what they did, okay and uh, And then the father was the only one who would give the son permission when he could go back and get his bride. Why? Because it's common sense. He would go back if all he knew is before he could consummate the marriage, okay, that all he had to do was build this place for him and his soon- to-be uh wife, they're already betrothed, okay. Uh, some place to live, he'd build a shack or a lean-to. Get a couple sticks and a sheet, and he's good to go, right? That's what, That's what a guy would do, right? He's a young guy, okay? And he's all excited. But the father, in wisdom, is like, no, no, no. This is your bridal chamber. Okay, this has to be ducked out. This has to be good. You're going to be living here. Plus, this is an addition to dad's house. It's not going to be a dump, okay? And so you're going to have to do it right, right? And so he would literally inspect the son's work as he continues to work on the hoopah, the bridal chamber, the addition on the father's house, You know, and then if if he had several kids, then you start off with the father's house, okay? But then you'd have this marriage with this kid and then this marriage with this kid and then this marriage with this kid. And the next thing you know, the father's house had many dwelling places. Every jot, every word, every tittle has a meaning behind it. And Jesus is using the same phrase, okay? And so that, if you go back to our text of rapture passage, Jesus says, I'm going back to the father's house i'm going to build your hoopah. in other words okay and this also opens up uh the critics would say of jesus well he's not really god because if he was god he doesn't even know the day nor the hour when he comes back the bible says that nobody knows the, uh, the, the hour when he comes back not the son jesus or even the angels only god the father knows he's not god he's just man no he's using of course he's god but he's using the language okay uh in- of the bride and the groom only the father is going to say son house is done go get your bride Okay? And so, you know, again, you start to extrapolate that. It's that Jesus has been working on our hoopah, our bridal chamber, for 2,000 years. Number one, I'm thinking he's got to be getting pretty close to getting done. Number two, if it took God only six days to create all this creation, can you imagine what our bridal chamber is going to be looking like after 2,000 years of Jesus working on it? Wow. No wonder when you see the descriptions and revelation of the new heavens, new earth, the foundations are made of precious gems several layers the streets are gold wow what's the bridal chamber going to look like okay that's the verbiage that he's using now that's the son he had to make preparations now in the meantime waiting until the guy would get done with the bridal chamber to come back and get her to consummate the marriage okay for the bride, it was he his was a time of preparation hers was a time to demonstrate her purity this is where we're at folks right now in the church age we need to demonstrate our purity Okay, and what would happen, it would be this, okay. Uh, during this time, it typically would be about a year. You know, he's building this place. It's going to take a little while. Okay, can you imagine that? You're ready to get married, and then you get literally, you're, you're, it's got a whole another year to go. Okay, but during that time, she would demonstrate her purity, and part of that purity was that she was not pregnant. Right, that she really was a virgin. Okay, and so that was part of it. She would also go undergo what's called a, a mikvah. Jewish people still do that today. Okay, it's a purifying bath. Sometimes they use, oftentimes milk. Okay, and uh, when she would step out of her house, she's betrothed, she would wear a veil. Okay, the reason for the veil was to show to other men out in public that she was spoken for. She was taken. Okay, she's betrothed. She's, she's pledged to be married to somebody else. It's a done deal. In other words, she's out of circulation. Okay, and, 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 and as I share, share this, think of ourselves as Christians today waiting for Jesus. This is what our behavior is supposed to be. Okay, she's going to resist any other offers as she awaits her one true love who has bought and paid for her. Okay, she is his and his alone. In Hebrew, she's called the kudoshet, okay, or the betrothed, the sanctified, the one who's dedicated to another. And this brings to light passages of Scripture that Paul talks about us right now. For 2 Corinthians eleven twelve. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy for, for I betrothed you to one husband jesus that i might present you as a pure virgin he's speaking of this phrase of this time frame when waiting for him to finish the hoopah to come back to get us we need to demonstrate our purity the bible says in first peter chapter one be ye holy because god is holy you demonstrate your purity okay and then you also protect yourself from suitors okay and then the bible says watch out that you do not get snookered by false teachers don't let anybody come and get you to commit adultery don't fall away don't get seduced false teachers and the bible also says as christians hey whatever you do don't get seduced by this world right just like another guy could come and she's betrothed to another guy here comes this snake and he seduces her to to commit adultery the bible says that first uh, john two fifteen: do not love the world nor the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him we need to demonstrate that we are faithful brides. We are sold out for the uh, betrothed who has bought for us, who has paid for us. And we're just waiting for him to come back uh, at any moment. And in the meantime, we're staying pure. Now, that brings home a lot to Scripture, doesn't it? When the Bible talks about that. Okay, we're supposed to be a faithful bride. The final stage, and this is really where it gets into Bible prophecy, uh, into uh, that is called the nisuin or the taking, okay, or the abduction, Okay? Now, once the chamber was complete, the father would inspect it, tell his son, go get your bride. And the romantic thing is, she had no clue when it was going to happen. He didn't send her an email. Hey, babe, I'm across down. I got the thing done finally. It's about time, you crazy guy. You know what I'm saying? You're constructionally challenged like Pastor Billy. You know, when Ron did it, it only took two weeks. But You you have to talk in that voice for emphasis. But anyway, so anyway, that's right. And uh, no, okay, she didn't know, okay? It was up to the father. He didn't even know. So he couldn't send her an email if there were emails and toasters back in those days. Uh, But there's not. Okay, so it was a surprise, okay? Now listen to this. This is where it gets really cool. Okay, typically this abduction, he would go to take her, literally whisk her away, take her to be his wife, okay? And it would usually occur in the middle of the night and uh, he would come with a a group of young guys, okay? Uh, Completely surprise her. Uh, the Jewish brides were literally stolen, okay, in the middle of the night, okay? Kind of a romantic thing, and, uh, but not by a stranger, but by the one who loved her so much that he paid such a high bride price for her and has been spending all this time in this really cool hoopah chamber, okay? So then the groom and his attendants would make their way by torchlight through the streets of the town to the house of the bride. And uh, surprising her was cool, but not bursting into the house uh, in the middle of the night, it was not. So upon arrival, he gave her a little bit of a heads up. Uh, the groom's party would announce their arrival with a shout, specifically the phrase, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Out of the blue. And then, sometimes they would blow a shofar trumpet uh, on a ram's horn or something like that to announce, right? Well, guess what the, the Bible says. Jesus said, Matthew 25, 5-6. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, while he's off building the hoop they all got drowsy and fell asleep. The wise virgins, the foolish ones, okay? But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out and meet him. What's that sound like? That's the exact same verbiage that's used when he's come back to get us. First Thessalonians 4, 16, 18, the classic rapture passage, is just one of them. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall ride first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up together with him in the clouds uh, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Caught up is the word where we get the word rapture from. Uh, harpazo in the greek which means a catching or snatching literally a taking and and it it has the idea of of a force we'll get to that in a second just a forcing away the same kind of thing that's used in in the verbiage there then that's not all after you went back to the hoopah chamber okay you got abducted you got raptured away by the bridegroom okay you went back and uh, you went into the bridal chamber that's where the nuptials began but then also you were given certain things put on your head they were called crowns interesting and that's what the Bible promises for you and I. Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death. I'm going to give you the crown of life. James 1.12, blesses the man who perseveres under trial, for he has been, once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised for those who love him. Okay? And then they would settle down in the position into their father's house. Don't worry. There's lots of room in the father's house. There's many dwelling places. And then they would have what was called the marriage supper. Okay? And we see that in Revelation 19. uh, And I heard, as it were, uh, the voice of a great multitude. And as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Oh, this marriage supper of the Lamb. And His bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her, uh, clothed herself in fine linen, bright and clean, Uh, right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true words of god as i alluded to before guess how long the marriage supper in a jewish marriage ceremony lasted seven days one week what is left on the prophetic time clock of daniel's 70th prophecy which is where we get the whole basis for the seven years tribulation 69 weeks have already passed that leaves one week or in the context there seven years right this is again another proof that people say that the church is going to be nowhere in the seven-year tribulation we have one week left that's the seven-year tribulation. But if you understand the verbiage is you've been following, every single phase, nothing's by chance. Jesus has been using the words the whole time through of a Jewish marriage ceremony. The final phase of consummation of the marriage, after you have been abducted, raptured, the next event, you get your crown, the bema seat, okay, and then you're going to be celebrating the marriage supper, which happens to last for one seven days or one week. It's the same thing. You see what I'm saying? Nothing is by chance in the scripture. And then, of course, this is cool. The bride and groom live happily ever after. And that's what we see in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be among them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. Isn't it cool? You know, I, I went through this with Rebecca several years ago when we were back on the East Coast, and it's like, man, that'd be a great children's book to write someday. And uh, she was on this princess kick. Anybody heard of girls, right? And they just go through that princess thing, right? And she's in the princess thing. I think she's still there. And, uh, but it's just, oh, yeah. And so I got to, uh, God worked on my heart. And I was like, oh, yeah, capitalize on this, ma'am. And I began to, uh, we began to go through scripture, and this is where I got that children's book idea from, is like, hey, wait a second. She's all enthralled with all this, this princess thing And oh the, my prince My prince charming going to come get me And all this And he's going to take me away To the kingdom And it's like Wait a second That's what the bible teaches That when we become saved We're a prince oh, She's a princess Well you can't You can't be married to a prince Because you don't have royal blood We do now Through Jesus Christ And he is the king of kings And the lord of lords He comes from the greatest Highest kingdom And, and our prince Is really going to come back And get us one day and he's going to whisk us away. He's going to rescue us. And he's going to take us back to the palace. And we will reign with him as royalty forever and ever and ever. And I began explaining that to her. You should have seen her eyes lit up that day. It's like, she got it. I said, Rebecca, this is what's so cool about being a Christian. The, the world, all they have is make-believe stories of princes and princesses and being whisked away. This is real. That is who you are. That is your destiny as a Christian wouldn't that be a cool Christian book children's book yeah somebody let's get that thing cracking that would be a great resource okay and then the final phase of course well what do you do in the meantime okay and we got to get moving on and what we got to do in the meantime open your Bibles to uh Matthew 25 and uh we'll close with this boy we didn't get too far but I think that hits the context Matthew 25 okay the context Matthew 23 is so cool I love it I that's a passage you really want to chew into when people say, oh, Jesus, my Jesus, he was, oh, he was just so loving, he wouldn't hurt a flea. Of course, you got to speak like that, whatever. I don't know, I'm all over the, the board. I couldn't do that English thing. I, it's like that. All I can do is get crumpet right, crumpet. Well, maybe I can't even get that right. But anyway, so I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so. But anyway so, the, anyway, so Matthew 23, as you turn there, contextually, uh, people say, oh, Jesus, you know, he was so nice and whatever. It's like, uh, he, he was, you know, you're getting too loud, preacher. That's, you scare him, Yeah. It's like, hey, have you ever seen the words of Jesus? You hypocrites, you brood of vipers. What's that? That's a pit of snakes, man. You bag of dead man's bones. You, you're making him twice the son of hell as you are. Oh, by the way, look at there. There's exclamation points. He got loud. Okay. Then he gets into Matthew 24. I'm just getting the context set up for you. And then his disciples come to him. Hey, when's all this coming, man? When, what's the sign of your coming? That's what we've been dealing with. Okay, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, all that stuff. Okay, Matthew 25, it's like we read all these incredible signs. We go, ooh, oh, wow, this is what's coming, man. This is going, Oh, what's horrible? We got to get motivated. As we saw last week, this cleanses us. It comforts us. It compels us. And, and, all, and all these great benefits from knowing all this stuff. And it's, ooh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep reading. Don't stop at Matthew 24 because there's supposed to be a response. The big question is, all right, as we're waiting for him as his bride, what do we do? Well, this is why he gave three parables all in a row, Matthew 25 there, and he talks about the parable of the 10 virgins, right? then the parable of the talents, and then the parable of the sheep and the goats. It follows contextually. This is what our attitude is to be before he comes back and gets us. The first one, as we saw it, still fits the marriage ceremony. He talks about it in Matthew 25. At that time, the king of the heavens is going to be like ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish, five were wise. The foolish one took the lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones took oil in their jars along with their lamps. Well, why? Because remember the Jewish marriage ceremony. They had to be ready. He's going to show up. Next thing you know, he could show up at any time. Typically, he's going to be in the middle of the night. The only only warning you're going to get is, "Behold, the bridegroom cometh." It's like, "Oh, okay." And it's at night. You got they didn't have flashlights. You got to be ready to go because he's coming to get you. He's like, "I'm sorry, I got to do my hair." No, you have to be ready to go. So that means you need to have your light going. So five were foolish, five uh, were wise. They had the oil, and then at midnight the cry rang out. Here's the what? Notice the verb, "Edge." Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. It's time. He's done with the hoopah. He's coming to get you. Rapture. Okay. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, hey, man, give us some of your oil. The lamps are going out. No, there may not be enough for both of us. You instead go to those who sell oil and go buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the virgins who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet, went back to the hoopah. Okay. It's time for the marriage supper, the consummation of the marriage, the marriage supper of the lamb, went back to the banquet. Okay. And the door was what? Shut too late, man. You've been left behind. Later, the others also go, sir, sir, They say, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, what's the point if you're in this time frame, the bridegroom, you hear the shout, and here comes the horn, it's coming, and hey, what do you do? You better be watchful. And you look at our world today, are we really watching for Jesus? Have you ever done this? At least maybe just once a day, look up in the sky and go, at least with some sort of a mental expectation. Is, 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 it gonna, is, is the sky going to part? Is he coming? Is, is it today? Does that even enter our minds? Are we being watchful? Are we so locked down here on this earth, getting all sidetracked, not demonstrating our purity? We're sucked up into the ways of this world, the things of this world. And not only that, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but when your focus gets on this world instead of the world to come and our Lord coming to get us, you know, Bible prophecy, hey, this place becomes a drudgery. No wonder, Paul says, keep your mind on things above, not on this earth. Are you expecting his word? So Jesus said in this time frame, it could happen any moment. As a faithful bride, what do you do? You need to be watchful. And then as we close, just very quickly, the parable of talents. He said, in the meantime, I've given you gifts to serve me with. In the meantime, what are you going to do? Well, hey, uh, thanks for giving me that thing, but uh, I didn't do squat. I, ch- I chucked it in the ground. Squat kiss in the Greek there. Okay. And then what did Jesus say about that? If you literally said that you were a Christian, but you had zero to show for your life, again, we're not saved by our behavior, but that's a serious red flag. Are you even saved? Because what happened to that person? He said, uh, whoever does not have, even what he has is gonna be taken away and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there's gonna be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's that place? That's hell. Does that mean the Christian lost their salvation? No, you can't. What does that mean? You spouted it off all you want. Matthew 7, Lord, Lord. Away from me, I never knew you. Right? So we need to be watchful, but we also need to be working for Jesus. And the final one is the sheep and the goats. Now if you notice that between the sheep and the goats, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and they didn't do. Again, you're not saved by works, but if you love them, Jesus said, "You keep my commandments." And part of my commandments is, you need to feed, as He says here, the hungry. you need to be concerned about people. You need to reach out. you need to witness right? So if we're in this time frame going to be faithful brides for Jesus Christ, then we need to be watching, we need to be working, and we need to be witnessing for Jesus Christ, okay? And if you're not watching, and if you're not working for Jesus, and you're not witnessing, can I tell you something? My guess is you got your mind in the wrong spot. You're focused on this world. You're not looking forward to the world to come. You're acting like Jesus is never going to show up, and this is all there is. What a horrible reality that would be. Amen? We need to live lives like it's really true because guess what? It is true. And He's really coming by. And we should be excited about that as we get busy being faithful brides for Him. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Good Life Ministries and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The another 10 commandment says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. God bless.